Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan on this second day of November, 2008. I'd like to start by welcoming all the new listeners to the podcast, and as always, reminding all of my listeners to visit CorbettReport.com to check out our articles, videos, interviews, and previous podcast episodes. Of course, you can also subscribe via the subscribe button on the left side of the homepage to all of our RSS feeds, so you can stay up to date with all of the latest updates to the website. Of course, today's episode is about our recent trip to Osaka in western Japan for the 9-11 Truth Conference, but I would like to state at the beginning of today's episode that this entire trip was made possible by the single largest donation ever received by the website. Because of this one extremely generous contribution, we were able to afford all transportation costs, camera rental, and conference fees. So to that listener who made that extremely generous donation, an extremely heartfelt thank you. And now, without further ado, let's get to today's real news. Today's first real news story comes from Infowars.com, October 30th, 2008. Rand lobbies Pentagon, start war to save U.S. economy. According to reports out of top Chinese mainstream news outlets, the Rand Corporation recently presented a shocking proposal to the Pentagon in which it lobbied for a war to be started with a major foreign power in an attempt to stimulate the American economy and prevent a recession. A fierce debate has now ensued in China about who that foreign power may be, with China itself, as well as Russia, and even Japan suspected to be the targets of aggression. The reports cite French media news sources as having uncovered the proposal in which Rand suggested that the $700 billion that has been earmarked to bail out Wall Street and failing banks instead be used to finance a new war which would in turn reinvigorate the flagging stock markets. The Rand Corporation is a notoriously powerful NGO with deep ties to the U.S. military-industrial complex, as well as interlocking connections with the Ford, Rockefeller, and Carnegie Foundations. The reported Rand proposal dovetails with recent comments made by Joe Biden, Colin Powell, Madeleine Albright, and others concerning the guarantee that Barack Obama will face a major international crisis soon after taking office. It also arrives following a warning from Michael Baer, chairman of a key Pentagon advisory panel, who echoed the statement that the next administration will face an international crisis within months of taking office. Our second story today comes from MSNBC, October 16, 2008. Even healthcare workers reject flu shots. 60% opt not to get vaccinated despite proximity to virus. Operating room nurse Pauline Taylor knows her refusal to get a flu shot is based on faulty logic. But ever since she got sick after getting a shot a few years ago, she's sworn off the vaccine. I rarely get sick. The only thing I could narrow it down to is that I had gotten this shot, said Taylor, who works at university hospitals and clinics in Iowa City. I know that it's not a live virus, it just seemed pretty coincidental. 
Such stories frustrate Dr. William Schaffner. As chairman of the Department of Preventive Medicine at Vanderbilt University, he hears that kind of talk frequently and knows it's in part to blame for a surprising statistic. Nearly 60% of healthcare workers fail to get a flu shot. That's despite recommendations from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention that all healthcare workers get vaccinated, from hospital volunteers to doctors. At Allen Hospital in Waterloo, Iowa, the flu shot is mandatory for those with direct patient contact and recommended for everyone else. Those with allergies to the vaccine or other conditions can take a pass, but they must supply a note from their doctor. The hospital says the vaccination rate is 93%. In Seattle, at Virginia Mason Medical Center, even sales reps, vendors, and volunteers must be vaccinated unless they seek exceptions for religious or medical reasons. Even then, those who don't get a shot must wear a mask whenever they are in the hospital during the flu season. About 99% of the hospital's more than 5,000 employees were vaccinated. Dr. Joyce Lemert, the hospital's chief of medicine, said they lost around seven employees when the policy took effect four years ago. A lot of reasons we heard about people not wanting flu shots was all about them. It's my freedom. I don't want to get it. I get sick when I get it, Lemert said. Now, the culture has really changed to thinking about patients. This is what we do to protect our patients. Lemert said patients should ask their doctors if they've gotten their flu shot. I wouldn't go to anybody who didn't, she said. Today's final news story comes from The Independent on Sunday, October 23, 2008. The Rothschilds and their 200 years of political influence. Nat Rothschild, the financier at the center of allegations that threatened to engulf the shadow chancellor, George Osborne, is no stranger to laws which forbid politicians from accepting donations from abroad. Political donations from overseas are also illegal in the U.S., where John McCain's campaign team is under investigation for allegedly accepting a benefit in kind from two mega-rich British citizens, namely Nat Rothschild and his father, Jacob, the fourth Baron Rothschild. In April, Mr. McCain passed through London and spoke at a fundraising dinner for expatriate Americans, where seats at the cheapest tables cost £500 a head. What caught the eye of Judicial Watch, a Washington-based foundation dedicated to combating corruption, was that the event was held by kind permission of Lord Rothschild and Honorable Nathaniel Rothschild at the family home in Spencer House, St. James, the only privately owned 17th century palace in central London. The U.S. Federal Election Committee is still investigating the allegation that Mr. McCain's campaign team broke electoral law by accepting a benefit in kind from the Rothschilds. We haven't heard from the FEC yet, and don't expect to until after the campaign, Tom Fidden of Judicial Watch said. Welcome to episode 62 of the Corbett Report, 9-11 Truth in Japan. As mentioned earlier, we traveled to Osaka in western Japan yesterday to attend the second International 9-11 Truth Conference, which is still ongoing in Japan. Previous sessions have taken place in Kobe and Nagoya, 
And another session will be taking place tomorrow on Monday, November 3rd in Tokyo. The Osaka session of the 9-11 Truth Conference featured keynote speaker David Ray Griffin, who gave two lectures yesterday at the Abeno Kokumin Center in Osaka. Other items on the program included screening of well-known 9-11 Truth documentaries with Japanese subtitles written by Yumi Kikuchi, a translator of such works as David Ray Griffin's The New Pearl Harbor and a prominent member of the 9-11 Truth community in Japan. Of course, the Corbett Report was there to report on the conference, and we had a chance not only to interview Yumi Kikuchi, but also Chida Etsuko, a worker for the UNHCR, that is the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. Of course, we also had a chance to speak off the record to David Ray Griffin after his talk, and we will have him on as a guest in the future for a telephone interview. Of course, we're drowning in data from yesterday's conference, having taken pictures, video, and of course audio of the day's events. So it will take a while to sort through all of this data, but rest assured, it will come out on the website over the course of the coming week. Please look for articles, interviews, and videos to be added throughout the week as we sort through the data. Today I'd like to play some audio clips of some of the highlights of the conference. And I'd like to start with our interview with Yumi Kikuchi, the conference organizer. Let's listen to Yumi Kikuchi talking about the conference. All right, Yumi Kikuchi, it's very good to see you today. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the 9-11 Truth Conference? Okay, um, the main one we're organizing is in Tokyo, November the 3rd, uh, at Miyakezaka Hall, starting at 10 a.m. Uh, November the 3rd is uh, actually Constitution Day. Now that in the United States and Japan, the Constitution is uh, ruined, in a way, in the freedom uh, of speech and freedom of uh, gathering, and many things has been ruined, I, I, I believe. I feel, I think you share the same view with me since 9-1-1, 9-11. So they really used 9-11 to start two wars against Afghanistan and Iraq, and uh, we couldn't find any hard evidence uh, linked to Osama bin Laden or al-Qaeda. So why are we still there fighting and killing people who are innocent and nothing to do with us, 9-11? So my conference is about to bring back all of us to September 11 to find the truth, to spread the truth out because no mainstream media is doing what they are supposed to do. So uh, I'm uh, just one person, you are one person, doing everything we can to spread the news. Uh, otherwise, uh, uh, a lot of people have no chance to listen to. So this is a, uh, this is a third day of my uh, speaking tour with David Ray Griffin. We are having Dr. David Ray Griffin's. Uh, he is one of the most prominent and respected uh, uh, 911 truther. I think you share the same, same view. And uh, we spoke at Akita, and uh, yesterday Kobe was full house. Many people had to be turned down. And today we are expecting more people, I hope, to come in this afternoon uh, for my talk and Griffin's talk, Dr. Griffin's talk in Osaka. And tomorrow we have another session uh, in Nagoya. And then the final day is in Tokyo. That's a 911 International, uh, 911 Truth International Conference. And who will be speaking on the final day? Oh, final day, uh, of course, Dr. David Ray Griffin, myself, and Mr. Akira Dojimaru, 
Dojimaru has a wonderful website. Anyone can understand September 11th. You know, so that's a great site, and that, I think that's the best Japanese site about 911 Truth. If, you wanna, if you're a first you know, listener or finder of 911 Truth, that's the best site to go. Dojimaru. It's called a Dojimaru Bar. Dojimaru B-A-R. Dot com or something. And then uh, Mr. Benjamin Fufol, he's a journalist and he's also a famous commentator on ABC here in Asahi News. And he's been another 9-11 truther in Japan. He's Canadian, by the way, not American. And then uh, Narusawa-san, Mr. Narusawa is from Shukan Kinyobi, that's weekly Friday, uh, leftist wing, um, well, I shouldn't say that, left or liberal magazine, weekly magazine in Japan, and he's one of the editors. So he's, he has written two books about September 11 Truth, The Mystery of 911, and uh, also The Continuous Mystery of 911. And uh, who else? Oh, of course, Mr. Fujita. Uh, yeah, our senator or House of Councilor member, Mr. Fujita Yukihisa, will be speaking. Uh, he is uh, courageously questioned Japanese government if they've known 911 truth and obviously they, they don't they haven't studied, they haven't investigated they just uh, receive the information from, from United States and they just believe everything they say so that's my government unfortunately and so Mr. Fujita will be speaking at the panel session, so it's going to be fun Now how can people find out more about yourself? Um, go to Kikuchi Yumi no blog I have a blog, uh, either Yumi Kikuchi, uh, blog, blogspot, yumikikuchi.com. That's for English speakers and for Japanese, blogspot.kikuchiyumi.com. And uh, that's the best side finding about our conference. Okay, thank you very much for your time today and good luck with the conference. Thank you very much. It should be noted that Ms. Kikuchi did an admirable job of simultaneous translation for David Ray Griffin during his afternoon lecture as well as during some follow-up session after the evening lecture, as well, of course, as reading the Japanese version of a pre-translated prepared speech that David Ray Griffin delivered in the evening. A very difficult job, to be sure, and one that she did extremely well. In that interview, the video of which will be going up on the website in the coming days, Ms. Kikuchi mentioned Mr. Fujita Yukihisa, who, of course, is a member of the House of Counselors in Japan, which is the equivalent to the United States Senate, and a man who has questioned 9-11 repeatedly in the Diet, the Japanese parliament. His latest attempt to bring 9-11 to the floor of the Diet occurred just last week, where once again he spoke at length about the anomalies of 9-11, and I suggest that my listeners take a look at that speech by going to a YouTube link from the documentation section of today's episode. And of course, as a reminder, all the documents cited in this and every episode of the podcast can be found from the homepage under today's episode by clicking on the documentation link. Now I would like to turn to an interview we conducted with one of the attendees of the conference, Ms. Etsuko Chida. As I mentioned before, Ms. Chida works for the UN High Commission for Refugees an organization which was founded in 1950 by the United Nations and whose website can be found online at unhcr.org. Ms. Chita had an extremely interesting personal tale to tell about September 11th, as she was actually in Kandahar as that terrorist incident unfolded in the United States. 
Of course, it was only a matter of hours before blames for the attack started to be laid at the feet of Osama bin Laden. And of course, at the time, he was being supposedly protected by the Taliban in Afghanistan. And thus, Afghanistan would become a likely target in any future U.S. aggression, which of course we, we all know is exactly what unfolded. And of course, new listeners to the Corbett Report are advised to listen to episode 32 of the podcast for a more detailed analysis of that Afghanistan invasion. But Ms. Cheetah has a very personal story to tell about her experience being in Kandahar on September 11th, and also some of her reasons for attending the 9-11 Truth Conference in Osaka. Once again, the video of this interview will be posted on our YouTube account sometime this week. So please subscribe to our YouTube video feed in order to ensure that you don't miss any of the video from this conference. But right now, let's take a listen to some of the highlights of audio extracts from that interview. Here I am at the Osaka version of the 9-11 Truth Conference, and I'm talking to one of the attendees. Uh, could you introduce yourself for the viewers? Okay. My name is uh, Etsuko Chida. Um, I work for United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, UNHCR. And I was in Kandahar on 11 September watching the incident on BBC in Kandahar. Wow, that must have been an amazing experience. Can you tell us a little bit about how you found out about the 9-11 events? <laughs> you know, like the, that day, I mean, I was the only female, you know, that the UN staff uh, in Kandahar. And then at that time, the, you know, the ta- Kandahar was the Taliban base. And, um, you know, fortunately, I'm the female staff, so I had the liberty to actually visit the homes of the Afghans because men, they are not allowed to see the female, right? So they couldn't. But then I was, you know, kind of um, more free to move around in, in Kandahar. So that day, after the work, I was visiting some of my, you know, like the, how to say, the kids around the neighbor and the neighborhood. And then that... Um, I was actually, you know, that visiting one family and giving them a medicine. And then on the way home, one of the staff kind of met and told me there's something very, you know, serious ongoing in B- on BBC. And I should, you know, go home quickly and see and watch the TV program. And then so when I came back, I think it was like evening around 5 or 5.30 um, in Kandahar time. And um, I saw on the screen the flight was you know, almost kind of one flight was already in, I mean, attacking the trade center. And then the other one was, you know, flying around the trading, another building. Yeah. And um, and then that, um, anyway, so that was really shocking. And then immediately after that, the, you know, that this um, incident, we start talking about, you know, America must, you know, start attacking us. So we first um, kind of, you know, kept watching TV and then we actually believed because first thing that Bush said was like, you know, they are targeting like Palestinians or, you know, someone else. So, but then I think about five, six hours later, he actually started naming, you know, that the, the Osama bin Laden as a main, you know, that the that, 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 that culprit. So at that time, we are very, you know, that, um, how to say, that we start preparing for the evacuation. <laughs> And then that and it was very interesting because that all the United Nations staff, but I mean international staff, were told to, you know, to leave, evacuate the country, and then that the flight was sent, the UN flights were sent to the all the in the locations, but then somehow I guess the Kandahar was at the base of Taliban, United Nations wanted to kind of hide to Taliban that we are evacuating, so 
that the, they put us, the Kandahar group, as the last group. And then so that the, all the other, you know, the locations like Mazar Sharif, uh, you know, like the Kunduz, like uh, Kabul, that the people evacuated within the, you know, the 12th of September. And then we are the last to be evacuated on 13th of September. And I left everything, you know, like my personal belongings and everything, thinking that, like, you know, like after whatever, I will come back and then start working again. But then, you know, um, I think like in U.S. it's 6th September and in Japan I think 7th September, I mean, sorry, 7th October. Yeah, that the U.S. already start, you know, the bombing. So, of course, the, the attack on Afghanistan was justified by 9-11 and Osama bin Laden's supposed complicity in that attack. What can you tell us about the sense of people in Kandahar and in Afghanistan at the time about Osama bin Laden and his ability to, to, to pull off something like 9-11? You know, that um, I guess that today in the movie it also says that, like, you know, that the Taliban was protecting Osama bin Laden. Actually, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if they are... How to say? They are um, actually, you know, the positively, you know, that the supporting Osama bin Laden or not? Because Osama bin Laden was actually put by U.S., you know, the CIA to fight against Soviet, you know, that the politics, and then apparently that Osama bin Laden has been in Afghanistan, so he started to, you know, of course, started to have his own life and so forth. So Osama bin Laden and the the Highest, you know, that the authority of Taliban in Kandahar, they had, you know, the marriage relationship. I think that the, the, the Taliban's leader's daughter was like third, you know, the wife of Osama bin Laden or something. And I think Osama bin Laden's, uh, I think some daughter or son is married to like the, you know, that his, his I mean, the other leader's son or daughter or whatever. So they apparently made that, you know, that the, the, the kin relationship. And um, the many Afghans, I mean, like normal, you know, Afghan people, that the, because of their, you know, that the culture of, hosp- I mean, hospitality, they, you know, didn't oppose that the people, you know, like the staying there. But I, I heard many people complaining about, you know, that like Saudi Arabians and, you know, that different foreigners are now coming to, you know, that the, in, in Afghanistan. And they are kind of, you know, like the militant power and very, you know, that, um, how to say um, making some you know commotions inside Afghanistan, and they didn't like it. But then you know that the, the, their guests anyway, then the foreign, I mean the, their foreigners, so they didn't you know protest. But then actually you know that they they didn't like that the fact that those people were brought into the country, and also the Taliban themselves. I think they are not really really positively promoting. You know, anyone just like because you know they made this you know the how to say the the conditions, co- 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 and also that um, I guess um, the you know that the Taliban is very very poor. They really don't have any money, and then you can you can see that what type of weapons they had. We d- even didn't. I mean, we we laughed when America started bombing because we even doubted if they have you know the airplane or the helicopter can fly. <laughs> it was really poor. Yeah? So so. That's why that the, you know that, that that we knew that the they, I mean Osama bin Laden has the, you know that, that, that this the background of that also that you know Saudi fund so you know that definitely they needed Osama bin Laden for the purpose of money I believe but then also that the, and then 
I really don't think, you know, that actually, I really myself suspect that it's actually U.S. who needs Osama bin Laden more. And then that, you know, like that, that's shown in the film. I really think that, the, you know, that the, I mean, Bush administration, especially Bush family, I think that, the, the, you know, in the relation of the oil, they must have the personal, I think, that, the, you know, the beneficial relationship between them. Otherwise, I can't, how to say, I mean, can't explain why that, the, the, you know, like right after the, this 9-11s, when the, you know, that the air was all controlled by the U.S. government, it's also, I mean, the family who are only allowed to leave within 24 hours, you know, to leave the United States. And then that also that, the, you know, like the white, like Saddam Hussein, he was really in the, you know, somewhere that's very difficult to find. And then they still located him. But then Osama bin Laden, they, you know, they knew that where he was exactly, and then like, you know, kind of allowed them to leave. So I just, you know, that, that I don't know what is going on, but apparently it's clear that I think Bush has some, how to say, the benefit by making him alive. Yeah. I see. So why did you come to the conference today in Osaka? Uh, no, actually, I was born in Kyoto, and my family is in Kyoto, but then. That, that because this you know three days you know that the holidays that um, this day is the most convenient for me, but um, also this you know the program I think one is the most extensive one yeah the all day yeah and then that both you know that Kikuchi Yumi-san and then the Dr Griffin is you know talking and actually I myself since then was really worried, I mean wondering you know what exactly happened because even this you know 911 uh, the incident in U.S. that people say that, like the, you know, that actually the the, the the reason that the building collapsed was not because of the airplane, but there are like the inside, you know, that the, the bombs put inside the building and so forth. And then there are many very strange rumors, like the Jewish people didn't come to work that day and so forth. So I just, you know, that the really would like to know what exactly happened and why, you know, that Afghan people had to be killed, you know, that the, without, I mean, that they are all innocent. And uh, I also wonder, because, um, <clears throat> you know, like the, all the country, when the, they build their own country, they somehow go through the, the, the time of the war. Like even the United States, you had the civil war, and then south and the, the north, the fourth, you know, that the each other. But then, that, um, you know, like in Japan also, we had the, the, the historical time, like the, the, all the warlords fought each other. It's like the Mujahideen time in Afghanistan. A lot of warlords came up and started fighting each other. But then at the end, it's their own country who, you know, that decided that they are, you know, that the destiny of the country. But now in Afghanistan, that it's like, you know, that the, before they determine their own destiny, destiny, that other countries, you know, the foreign countries start interfering. And then that, that, the, that what Bush started was actually, it was, for me, it was completely like, you know, that against the international law of the war because like the, 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 they're supposed to be able to, you know, that the, the start, start the, the war only the time when that the, the, they protect themselves for the reason of self-defense. But this attack is against the, the terrorist. So I wonder, so if the, like the OM, you know, the cult attacked this, you know, that maybe the New York subway and put the gas in New York and then they found that was the, the you know, the, the OM who, you know, that, that started this terrorist incident in New York, then it means they can immediately attack Japan. So then this, you know, is completely, it's like an invasion and against the international law. 
And then I just wonder why, you know, that the, all the government can't stop this type of nonsense. And then, like the now, as you see, that they started Afghanistan and they went to Iraq. And then, I don't know, you know, this, this war, as long as like Bush said, okay, or the U.S. says this is a terrorist, they can attack. And then that, that, that they will stop. Only they think they killed all the terrorists. Then when, when this war can be terminated? I have no idea. Yeah, so this type of things, it's like, you know, never happened in the history. So I think, and then together with this, uh, you know, that the economic situation right now, like, I think it's really crazy. And I really hope, you know, that the U.S. will not continue to use killing the people and, you know, the paying the weapons as, uh, you know, the, the means to reboot, you know, their economy again, you know. So I'm really worrying about that. So that's why I came here today to make sure that, you know, that I know more information about what happened and then also that maybe that people can, you know, I think that I can make the linkage with the people together and do something about it, yeah. All right, well, Ms. Cheetah, thank you very much for joining me today, and uh, please enjoy the rest of the conference. Yeah, thank you very much. An extremely interesting personal tale, and yet another person in a large non-governmental organization questioning the official conspiracy theory of 9-11. Ms. Cheetah's story is indeed an interesting one, and one that I'd like to hear more about, so we will be scheduling a telephone interview with Ms. Cheetah to talk more at length about her experiences in the near future. But right now, let's turn to the keynote speaker of the evening, the famed retired professor of theology who has written several books on 9-11 and the anomalies and inconsistencies in the official conspiracy theory of 9-11, Professor David Ray Griffin. Professor Griffin delivered two lectures on 9-11 truth. The first lecture, in the afternoon, attempting to flesh out some of the inconsistencies in the official story of Flight 77 and the Pentagon and the destruction of the World Trade Center. And the second lecture, delivered in the evening, designed to be an overview of David Ray Griffin's work for a Japanese audience, introducing them to the basic premises of his research into the 9-11 anomalies from his first book on the subject, The New Pearl Harbor, to his latest book, indeed his seventh book on the subject, The New Pearl Harbor Revisited, which is yet to be translated into Japanese. Professor Griffin's lecture was thorough and detailed, and well-received by the audience, and once again we will be putting up a video of the afternoon lecture on the website in the coming days. Right now I'd like to listen to an extract from the evening lecture, in which Professor Griffin is talking about Philip Zelico the executive director of the 9-11 Commission, and a person who has long been known to have deep ties to the White House, which call into question the fundamental premises that the 9-11 Commission was indeed an independent investigation into 9-11. As Professor Griffin points out, that is not true for numerous reasons, including new reasons that have been recently discovered and uncovered by researchers into the matter, which show just what a farce the 9-11 Commission really was. Let's listen to Professor Griffin talking about Philip Zelico, the executive director of the 9-11 Commission. I will conclude this discussion of facts about the 9-11 Commission uh, that it omitted and distorted by speaking about facts it omitted about itself. The Commission's co-chairs, Thomas Kane and Lee Hamilton, claimed in the preface to the 9-11 Commission report that the Commission had tried to be 
independent and impartial. But they failed to point out that Philip Zelikow, who was the commission's executive director and the one who ran the commission, was essentially a member of the Bush White House. During the presidency of the first George Bush, Zelikow had worked together with Condoleezza Rice for the National Security Council. Then when the Republicans were out of power during the Clinton years, Rice and Zelikow wrote a book together. And then when she was appointed National Security Advisor for the new President Bush, she brought on Zelikow to help with the transition to the new National Security Council, after which he was appointed to the President's Foreign Intelligence Advisory Board. As the 9-11 Commission's Executive Director, he determined what the Commission did and did not investigate, and he took charge of writing its final report. So the 9-11 Commission was anything but independent from the White House. Insofar as the 9-11 Commission did investigate the White House, it was the White House investigating itself. Thus far, I have discussed things that have been widely known for many years, at least since 2005, when I wrote my critique of the 9-11 Commission report. I will now mention some developments that have occurred since then, which I have reported in my latest book, The New Pearl Harbor Revisited. One thing we have learned is still more reasons why Philip Zelikow was the worst possible choice to be the executive director of the 9-11 Commission unless its job was to cover up guilt by the Bush White House. One fact that became public knowledge is that Zelikow had, at Condoleezza Rice's request, written the 2002 version of the National Security Strategy of the United States of America, usually abbreviated NSS 2002. This document used 9-11 to justify a new doctrine of preemption, according which the, to which the United States now has the right to attack another nation, even if that nation poses no imminent threat to the United States, a doctrine that was then used to justify the attack on Iraq. Given Zelikow's authorship of that document, he certainly would not have had his staff investigate one of the questions it should have investigated. That is, might the White House have had motives for orchestrating or at least allowing the 9-11 attacks? The 9-11 Commission's discussion of motives was restricted entirely to Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. Then in 2008, we learned still more about Zalikow from New York Times writer Philip Sheenan's book on the 9-11 Commission. We learned that Zalikow, in order to get the job of executive director, had lied to Kane and Hamilton, concealing from them his authorship of NSS 2002 and other conflicts of interest. And we learned that Zelikow had, this is most astounding, had written the outline for the 9-11 Commission report before the Commission even started investigating. And that this outline was very complete, complete with chapter headings, subheadings, and sub-subheadings. 
and that Zelikowin conspired with Cain and Hamilton to keep this fact a secret from the staff. Shinnan also revealed that although Zelikow had promised to cut off all contacts with senior White House officials, he continued to talk with Condoleezza Rice and even with Karl Rove. We learned, in other words, that the 9-11 Commission was no more independent from the White House than if Rice or Rove had been directing the Commission. Professor Griffin's latest work on the subject of 9-11, The New Pearl Harbor Revisited, 9-11, The Cover-Up and the Exposé, is widely available from bookstores and online retailers. After Griffin's keynote speech was delivered, a 9-11 debunker was allowed time to deliver a pre-prepared speech attempting to refute Professor Griffin's claims. The person who was delivering the speech declined to introduce himself in English, so it was not immediately clear who the person was, and the majority of his refutation was delivered in Japanese, so it was difficult to catch the specifics of what he was attempting to convey to Dr. Griffin, although followers of the Corbett Report might be amused to learn that one of the screenshots that this 9-11 debunker used in his PowerPoint presentation to go along with his speech featured rather prominently a link to the Corbett Report's own video, Emergency Warning for Office Workers, about the NIST WTC7 report. What he said about this, or what he was attempting to demonstrate by showing the screenshot of the link to this video, I'm not sure, but nevertheless, the Corbett Report is indeed making its presence known. But it was very clear to all that this 9-11 debunker lacked any social grace or any pretense at being polite or engaging in civil debate with Professor Griffin, instead attempting to label him a liar and a fraud while acting curt and dismissive to the Japanese translator Yumi Kikuchi. Following are some brief extracts of his bizarre performance. Um, first off, Introduce yourself. I'm my name is John Rogers. 
I'm, I'm living in Osaka and I'm active um, in the Nordic Shogun movement, which is the homeless movement. Needless to say, very few minds were changed by ideas put forward in such a rude and hostile manner. Nevertheless, Professor Griffin persevered and answered and refuted the debunkers' points one by one. So let's play just an extract from some of Professor Griffin's refutation of the debunker and give Professor Griffin the last word in today's episode. That's it for this week. Although, of course, once again, listeners are encouraged to check back on the website, CorbettReport.com, frequently throughout this week for updates relating to the 9-11 Truth Conference in Japan. Thank you for joining me today, and join me again next week for another edition of the Corbett Report. Now, Lee Hamilton and King, when they're ridiculing conspiracy theorists, they say, well, the mark of conspiracy theorists is they begin with their conclusion and they refuse to look at any alternative evidence. Well, when Philip Zelikow was setting out the assignments for the groups, he had one group and he said, your task is to study Al-Qaeda, uh, uh, which carried out <laughs> the attacks of 9-11, his most successful operation. If that is not beginning with the conclusion, what would be? Then the 9-11 Commission systematically ignored all evidence to the contrary. If you were seeking truth, you would not ignore the 118 members of the fire department in New York who talked about explosions going off in the buildings. You would not ignore all the reports about melted steel in the residue, in the, in the rubble. You would not refuse to study the dust to see if it had residue of explosives such as thermite. You would not ignore Norman Mineta's testimony about Nick Cheney that morning. When you were talking about motives, you wouldn't ignore the fact that the project for the new American century, which included Rumsfeld and Cheney, talked about the new, a new, needing a new Pearl Harbor to move things along more quickly. You would not ignore the fact that the FBI says it has no hard evidence for Bin Laden's responsibility. You would not say, as the 9-11 Commission did, that Mohammed Adam had become fanatically religious while ignoring the fact that he had lived with a, a stripper and took cocaine and uh, regularly hired uh, prostitutes and lap dancers. You would not ignore Richard Clark's testimony about where Donald Rumsfeld and Richard Myers were that morning. You would not ignore the memo sent by the FAA on March 23, 2003, saying we were talking to the military about Flight 77 long before 9-24. The movement that calls itself the 9-11 Truth Movement is the movement that has discovered all of those facts and reported them to the public.
seconds squared. The South Tower was 1,362 feet tall. 1362 equals 16.08 times 84.7 or 9.2 seconds.